Fred's Front Porch Podcast is made possible by the generous support of Jenner Zeno, Alex Oliphant, our unofficial patron saint, Jane Louise Finch, our official patron saint, Edith Keeler, Coralie Day with Scott Knight, Hermione Granger, and listeners like you. Welcome, fellow traveler on this rock floating through space. I'm Fred. This is my front porch. Come on up and sit a while. There are ideas to be discussed on this old set of nicely nailed together boards. too quickly. I recognize this fact, and it causes me to worry. I can't remember many things I used to know cold. I have trouble now getting through all of Hamlet's soliloquy, and I've been able to recite it for more than 30 years. I can't learn things as quickly anymore. You can explain something to me three or four times, and there's a good chance I won't remember how to use the information effectively tomorrow. It takes me longer to write anything, and I don't think the writing is as good as it once was. I can't construct a coherent argument as quickly as I once could. I can see what's ahead for me by looking at my parents. My mother doesn't remember where I live, even if I told her two minutes earlier. She can't really read a book because she doesn't know what happened two paragraphs ago. TV is just random images and sounds for her. And before my father died, he was frequently repeating himself. He quit driving when he ran a red light because he forgot what it meant. The man was a genius. And before he was gone, much of his memory had evaporated. And I can see that beginning to happen for me. I said this to my Facebook friends, and some of them recommended pills. I don't believe vitamin supplements are the answer. It was suggested I do things to keep my mind healthy. I play Othello, checkers, and solitaire all the time. When I was in high school, I was all but unbeatable at Othello. Now I have to play the game on the very easy setting if I want to win more than 90% of my games. When I play against other humans online, they crush me. All of this is by way of telling you why I'm reading this old piece to you tonight. It's sort of a letter to future Fred. It's a way of looking at myself as objectively as possible. When the time comes when I can't do this anymore, I imagine myself listening to my old podcasts in an effort to remember what I once was. I'm sure the time will come when I won't even recognize myself 
or understand what I'm saying anymore. So I'm writing and recording for my life. The aging existentialist, seeing myself from someone else's point of view. What do we mean by saying that existence precedes essence? We mean that man first of all exists, encounters himself, surges up in the world, and defines himself afterwards. Jean-Paul Sartre, existentialism is a humanism. I wrote an essay recently about being referred to as an online panhandler. I expressed that I don't know whether I fit the definition of panhandler, but I see nothing wrong in being one. The link to the essay is in the show notes in case you would like to read it. A good friend of mine left this comment. Regarding panhandling, there but for the grace of God go I could substitute rank good fortune for God. There too, but for the grace of God, goes your friend who passed judgment on you. You seem to feel the pain of the world, and you don't question the only sane response, which is compassion. You seem to share what little you have with others and want to do more. You seem to draw your circle of inclusion far beyond your immediate environment. Your friend draws his or her circle of inclusion very close to himself, hoarding what he or she has, and condemning those who, by choice, necessity, or circumstance, find themselves in a very different place. On more than one occasion, I believe I have told you, I think, although you and I have never met, that you are a good man. Not perfect, but a good man. May I suggest you write an essay slash analysis of my, quote, judgment of you? I think it might be a challenging exercise, but one that might be illuminating. You don't even need to post it, but by posting it, you might get feedback that might also be illuminating for you. Take care, Fred. I still think you are a good man. Ross Hardwick. To answer him requires a bit of philosophy. Not too much, don't worry. I was first exposed to the idea of existentialism when I was 15 years old. I had returned from Iowa where I came perilously close to being a confirmed Lutheran, and my father, a confirmed atheist and professor of philosophy of education, had me audit his class. I wasn't old enough to get credit for it, but I paid attention. And while Dad rejected existentialism, as did one of my heroes, Charles Frankel, I found it seductive. Frankel called it cosmic despair. I suppose he was right, 
but I found much in it that I loved, not the least of which were most of Monty Python, Cool Hand Luke, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and The Graduate. I also loved Sartre's The Wall, long before Pink Floyd had any ideas on the subject. While there is much to reject in existentialism, such as the idea that there can be no certainty and therefore every choice is a leap in the dark. It's really not. Yes, anything can happen. But one has experiences upon which to rely for making choices. It's possible the sun won't set tonight, but I'm proceeding on the assumption that it will, and not to do so is foolish. There is also one part that has stayed with me into my old age. When you choose, you choose for every man. By the way, we're going to use the word man here to mean mankind. This was written long before our more enlightened age, and I do not intend to mess around with Sartre's prose any more than I would with Twain's. That's your warning. When we say that man chooses himself, we do mean that every one of us must choose himself. But we also mean that in choosing for himself, he chooses for all men. For in effect, of all the actions a man may take in order to create himself as he wills to be, there is not one which is not creative at the same time of an image of man such as he believes he ought to be. To choose between this or that is at the same time to affirm the value of that which is chosen. For we are unable ever to choose the worse. What we choose is always the better, and nothing can be better for us unless it is better for all. Jean-Paul Sartre, existentialism is a humanism. When I make a choice for myself, I try to ask what I would want anyone to do in my position. If I choose cruelty, I am endorsing it. If I choose kindness, I'm advocating we all make that choice. To say I believe in kindness is meaningless if it doesn't influence my behavior. My irritation with many Christians is that the best of their beliefs do nothing to guide their behavior. They use the Bible as a weapon and a cause for hatred. I don't really believe that was Jesus' intention. To quote from Harper Lee, You were too young to understand it. But sometimes the Bible in the hand of one man is worse than a whiskey bottle in the hand of, oh, of your father, Miss Maudie, to kill a mockingbird. I know Christians whose beliefs guide them toward love, compassion, and kindness. These are people I like. I may disagree with the path they chose to arrive there, but I like where they're standing. And that's what really matters. So what does it mean to be Fred 
from the point of view of someone outside of Fred, like my friend Ross, who is quoted above. You can hear Fred's Front Porch Podcast without any commercials on Patreon. Patreon. The link is in the show notes. For just $5 a month, you get to help this show grow. And you move me a little closer to being able to get a little house with a fenced-in backyard so I can have a dog to reduce my loneliness at night. That would make me incredibly happy. At higher levels, you can get coffee cups, t-shirts, and hoodies. You can also get my novel as soon as it's finished. Working on it. Working on it. And you get to hear yourself under your own name or any fictional name you choose in the Gratitudes nearly every week. Now, back to the show. He observes my penchant for kindness and compassion, and he finds them admirable. I see them as the only reasonable default position. I try to be what I think all men should be, but I have no doubt I fail from time to time. I openly discuss both my kindness and my poverty. They are parts of who I am. They are parts over which I feel no shame. I don't generally discuss the parts of my character of which I'm ashamed. Do you? Do you? Do you? But I suppose it's important to be as honest about my flaws as I am about my shining palace built upon the sand. So, what are they? I should bathe more often than I do. The shower is out of the question for me because it's not a question of if, but when I am going to fall and hurt myself. So I take baths when it's essential, but not with nearly the frequency I should. If you saw me when I was sitting at the computer writing, I would look mostly homeless. I could change this about myself, but the advantage of being alone is that I have no need to concern myself with the opinions of others about this. The fact is, you can't see me. My lack of hygiene is doing nothing to hurt you. I think many things about which I'm not proud. I have all sorts of ideas and fantasies and dreams that are entirely inappropriate. On the other hand, those are mine, and as it turns out, I may think what I wish. You're not allowed to attack me for my thoughts. My words and actions are open for discussion. My thoughts are my Though I believe trust is the basis of every relationship, I lie sometimes. I loathe that in myself, and sometimes it is beyond my ability to control. That, however, doesn't excuse it. I'm endorsing lying in everyone, and I'm eroding the trust that makes society work. I haven't decided yet what to do about that. I rely too much on the kindness of relative strangers. I should be able to support myself now, but if I were on my own, I would be done. I don't make enough to live alone. 
I have no retirement left, so I will work for what remains of my life. I'm not proud of my inability to support myself, but it's a part of who I am, and to deny it is to lose a part of my identity. Quick note, that was written a little over a year ago. I can't exactly support myself now, but with disability I can pay my rent and I can keep the lights and the computer and the internet and the phone and all that on. Uh, so <clears throat> that wasn't entirely true as of July 2nd, 2021. All right, back to work. That pretty much makes up my faults. I'm sure others find me arrogant or think that I'm too much of a grammar Nazi or that I am selfish. I'm sure others still could add hundreds of items to the list. Those, however, are the ones of which I'm most acutely aware. But those who see me as kind and compassionate are seeing the parts of me I like best and that I try to make my defining characteristics. I'm sure I've mentioned it elsewhere, but you'd be surprised how few people have heard all 105 episodes of my show. When I was in high school, my AP English teacher debated Shakespeare with me. She was wrong and I was right, but that's beside the point. Okay, I'm kidding. She was brilliant, even if she didn't love Hamlet enough. One of the things we discussed in her class was Mark Anthony's words about Brutus. This was the noblest Roman of them all. All the conspirators, save only he, did that they did in envy of great Caesar. He only, in a general honest thought and common good to all, made one of them. His life was gentle, and the elements so mixed in him that nature might stand up and say to all the world, this was a man. I've always been slightly suicidal. I loved the way Brutus died. Great Caesar, now be still. I killed not thee with half so good a will. Beautiful. And from the time Mrs. Julian brought it up to me, I decided I wanted Mark Antony to be able to visit me in the final five minutes of my life and say about me what he said about Brutus. He has to know everything I've done from the moment I was a fertilized egg up until his arrival. And he has to see the elements mixed in me in such a way that he could say, honestly and without equivocation, this was a man. I would like to be Atticus Finch. I'd like to be Hemingway's Santiago. I'd like to be Captain Kirk or even Captain Picard. I'd like to be my father who was a mixture of all these men. He would be pissed off about the Star Trek, but that's all right. He had Picard's ability to reason morally. He had Kirk's courage. I can't be any of those men. I have to be 
like me. And when you're old, diabetic as hell, broken, broke, and more than normally unattractive, you would be a fool to reject someone for being different from you. I will reject someone for behaviors I can't tolerate, cruelty, insensitivity, and unwarranted selfishness are on that list. For an explanation of unwarranted selfishness, you can read my blog in the show notes. But someone who is a good person is a good person, even if their beliefs differ from mine. She's still a good person if her sexuality differs from from mine, or his politics differ from mine, or if his taste in music is so different from mine that he doesn't even like the Beatles. Although, to be fair, I'm going to have to have a long conversation to figure out what's wrong with him. If you're a good person, I'm glad to call you my friend. How you got there is irrelevant to me. And now, I think of Kermit. He tells me it's not easy being green. And I understand. I'm much like him. I don't stand out. I'm not colorful. I'm not attractive. I'm not wealthy. I'm not strong. I'm not capable of a lot of things, but this is who I am. And I'm okay with being this guy. I think the world still needs a friend. I can handle that part. I suspect the world needs you too, but I don't know yet exactly why. I hope you can find out and tell the rest of us. Let's all keep doing our best to shine. Future Fred, this is who you were, and this is what you could do on July 2, 2021. You don't have to remember. It's here for anyone and everyone for as long as this podcast exists anywhere in the world. Just believe yourself when I tell you that you're still okay, even if you feel like you're not. I love you, even though you're not me anymore. Now go to sleep. You have another day to
are the names of the people in our community. These are people to whom I am grateful not only for their financial support, but for opening their minds to my ideas. You may reject them, but you consider them, and I'm honored to have the privilege of talking to you. Our only official patron saint is Jean Louise Finch. Our unofficial patron saints are Alex Oliphant, Jenner Zeno, and David Russell. Our producers are Edith Keeler, Coralie Day with Scott Knight, and Hermione Granger. Our patrons are Sherlock the Mystery Patron, Kevin Boyce, Joe March, and Barbara Hauser. Our sponsors are Ken Wooten, Chris Donnelly, Corey Pluard, Claude Burt Lansden, Jesse Rogers, Virginia Rupert, the Mindwave podcast to which you should listen often, Scott Shelby, Mark Rosma, Michelle Freeman, Laura Engram, Elizabeth Bennett, and Zarif. Our supporters are Judy Morris, Amos Stewart, Phil Parkman, Michelle Sylvester, Marley Maple Miracle, Ursula Phillips, Carrie Dedeo, Pavel Shabayev, Sarah Nimitz, John G., David Miller, Christine L. Patterson, Chuck Curry, Corey, Natalie, Jefferson, and our tireless and tearless supporter, Jereen. Our anchor sponsor is Zara. Our anchor supporters are Lori Shea, Daniel H., Cindy Mandel, Corey, again, Piper K. Young, A.A. Milne, John Donovan, Stacy Height, and Sharon Reddy. Thank you for sharing this journey with us. It is in the darkest skies that the stars shine most brightly. All of us will shine together. share my thoughts and ideas with you. Follow me at Front Porch Fred on Twitter. And get your episodes early and commercial free on Patreon. See you next week. Produced by Studio Stargazer.